0: Welcome back, howdy's fans, to episode 52 of the Chirpin' Yotes podcast. I'm Tyler, joining me is Stathead Grandy and my main man, Matt, who I will take that from Chase. Boys, how are we doing?
1: Doing pretty good, doing pretty good. Been working a lot of hours
2: lately, that's why I missed last week, but uh, looking forward to getting this on and
1: talking hockey with you boys.
3: Doing good, doing good, just hanging out, enjoying some 805, um... 805, if you'd like to sponsor us, please contact us on Twitter. i
0: will take any sponsor. Manscaped, 805. Rogue Energy. Why not? Visit Montreal. Visit Montreal. You know, if Visit Montreal sponsors me, I'll wear a t-shirt and make that the profile picture for everything that I have. With the flag and everything. I don't mind at all. I'll do that. I will 100% do it. And I'll even visit Montreal with my own money. And I will tell you guys how great... That part of the world is if it does exist. So we have, speaking of lawsuits, I might be getting one soon. However, looks like the coyotes have uh fired back at the city of Phoenix. We did talk last week about how City of Phoenix and Sky Harbor did all that fun stuff. Uh so it comes up today that the coyotes and the development firm Bluebird Development announced a $2.3 billion claim against the City of Phoenix. Uh the suit is damages caused by the Phoenix legal filing on March 27th for a breach of contract which is, and I quote, asking the court to rescind Tempe's recent zoning and land use changes and prohibit future residential uses in an area that the Federal Aviation Administration says is incompatible with residential development, end quote. So I know we kind of talked about this last week, boys, but what do you, do you guys think that the Coyotes, this is a proper response, is the expected response, Matt? Do Do you think this is what you expected?
3: I didn't quite expect a two point three billion dollar suit. Um I I don't mind it, actually. I I do think this is going to see uh kind of a, a you guys walk away, we'll walk away uh attitude. And my guess is that's what the coyotes are going for here. They may actually pursue damages. I'm I don't work for the team, I don't know, but it it kind of sounds like we're going to go for the max if you guys are really going to continue to try and interfere here. We did talk about last week that we think a lot of the motivation behind Phoenix suing the city of Tempe has to do with potential lost revenue and, you know, other things that come from Tempe getting their own entertainment district and a concert venue and a, a stadium. So to me, this isn't out of the realm of what I expected them to do. It's a little more that they're asking for than I expected, but yeah, this, uh, you had to expect that the coyotes were going to respond in turn in some way. Ready? Yeah. To- I
1: think the asking price was just seriously. I think it was just a, look, we're going to go for the max here. We're going to go for the throat, but we want to drop this thing as much as you do. So now the city of Phoenix can do one of two things. It can, move forward, and have its taxpayers pay what's going to be a long, lengthy, and expensive legal battle, or it can drop it. And for the sake of everyone involved, I hope they drop it, because this a legal battle will only will, will not end well for really anybody involved, I don't think, but it's just it's ridiculous that this whole thing came up again after Sky Harbor and Phoenix both said, yeah, we're fine with it. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, you can move forward. It's ridiculous that there's high-rise buildings in the um, airspace on the other side in Phoenix, but those aren't an issue. Only the ones in Tempe are. And it's because they needed something. They don't have a leg to stand on because it's privately funded. They don't have a leg to stand on with the arena. So they attack it any way they can. And this is their one little shot they have. And um, like I said, the like, funny thing is the funny thing is real quick. I just want to finish this. No problem. Is that uh, one thing I've seen it really do is absolutely galvanize Tempe getting this
2: thing passed. So, but go ahead, Tyler.
0: Yeah, I was going to just add to that. You know, I do feel like this is like two cobras flexing their hoods, and the Coyotes were not afraid to flex their hood and spit back. Um, and just to the number, the two point three billion, where they got that from, according to this article by Craig Morgan on gophnx.com, uh, The damages sought <laughs> are two point three billion, equal to the entitlement value of the Tempe Entertainment District. So, I'd agree with that too. I, I think they're basically, and, and, and like I said last week. I think the reason why Phoenix, even though they had that handshake slash, you know, public agreement was because there is because, excuse me, they know that this has a pretty good chance of passing. I think before they're like, Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're cool. But then now I think they've seen kind of the, they got a feel for how the public is feeling towards it. I think it's leaning towards the way of, um, the coyotes. So that's another reason why to kind of stop that, of course. So, but, we'll see I hope they both drop it. Um i I don't know if the legal battle would affect the date of the vote. I don't know if that's something that would happen. I'm not a lawyer by any means. But um unless we have something else to add, I, we keep stay tuned here, and we'll update you guys as soon as we find anything out.
3: so so i can't I can't speak for it on a a legal perspective. Just I, I'm not totally sure here. But when it comes to the vote, I would imagine the vote doesn't change because it is considered a special election. My guess is that the sale that would move the land over to the Coyotes would be pending at that point, um, litigation being settled. So I would imagine the vote doesn't change. Uh, Everybody should still be looking out for May 16th. And if things still are tied up in litigation at that point and the vote is a yes, the Coyotes are basically just waiting at that point for um either a suit settlement or it to be dropped. Or in the unfortunate case it's a no, you know, and the court says, sorry, you know, we're gonna side with the city of Phoenix here. Um at that point, you know, all of that would be moot. But the vote itself doesn't doesn't do anything more than grant the coyotes and Bluebird the ability to purchase the land and that land being rezoned.
1: I, for one, am just looking for the day when arena storylines are just in the past. They just
2: can't come soon enough. Meanwhile, in Glendale Arena, have you seen the new bubble blowing exhibit they have there?
3: Honestly, I haven't paid any attention to what's going on in Glendale since they've been out of there
1: i there was I just saw a tweet. Across my timeline a couple days ago, about a, a event they had covered up soon that was bubbles, bubble blowing. Yes,
2: that's their big event that they got to replace the coyotes blowing wow. bubbles. One drop must be happy. Is bubbles a clown?
3: That's a good like, one. Like, are they blowing bubbles? The clown? That's a good one. <laughs> I caught that Movie. this time.
0: This week, I caught the joke, so I didn't fall for it this time. <laughs> This week I caught it. I was I was privy to it. Congratulations, Tyler. I'm proud of I'm myself. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of myself for not being a fool for once this week. Well, I guess I have still have podcast left to go. We'll see. but. Uh-huh. Uh, well, so you did mention wanting to talk about Prosbytov too, Matt. I think you said something to do with his contract rights, waivers.
3: Go ahead on this one, Grandy.
0: Yeah, so
1: going into next season, the coyotes are in a little bit of a sticky situation with goaltenders and that they potentially have too many of them. Um, Prosatov is an RFA this season, needs a new contract. And when he, when, if I should say, if he gets resigned, which I can't imagine he doesn't, he's going to be waiver eligible next season. So you could potentially lose him for nothing if you send him back to the AHL. So we're going forward with Connery, who's also an RFA, Veggie, who's under contract, and Prosvatov, who's an RFA, going into next year. So the big question is, is what do you do? Prosvatov has had two really bad games back to back. But before that, he looked really, really solid. And, and uh, to be honest of those games. Did he make the saves he needed to? No, but he was also hung out to dry a lot. I don't think his play was as disastrous as some made it out to be. But I'm also, but, uh, I'm just not sold he makes it through waivers as a result. And do you want to risk losing them for free? Do you want to lose Ingram or do you want to trade veggie? Those really are our three options we have going into next year, or you just carry three goalies on your roster. Cause that always works out well as an NHL team, but
3: Matt, what's your,
1: what's your thoughts on the situation?
3: So you covered the logistics of it. Um, I can't imagine the coyotes let Connor Ingram go. He had a very rough start to his coyotes tenure, but he's actually been a very good goalie over the last three months, four months. Um, depending on whose analytics you trust, um, you know, ingram's Ingram's been better than Vimelka as of late. There's been all the talk about could Vimelka be available if a team really wants to trade for him. I don't think we're looking at a team like, or a deal like what we saw last year uh, with Colorado calling up and saying, or I'm sorry, two years ago, saying we'll give you a first rounder and Connor Timmons for your goalie. It's not going to happen. Would I move Amelka for a second if it meant keeping Connor Ingram and Prosvitov? Yeah, Uh, because I I look at that as being more than just a second round pick. You've secured your ability. To keep Prosvitov in the system, um, and in this case, at the NHL level, uh, with Connor Ingram being your goalie going forward, especially if you're not looking to win too many games next year, it doesn't become a big deal at that point. I would, however, say that I I don't believe Prosvitov is going to be a a long term answer for the Coyotes, so. If they decided to go the route of, we're going to sign him, we're going to waive him, we're going to see what happens, and somebody else takes him, I don't think it's a huge deal. Um, Yes, it's unfortunate to lose a guy that you've put that much time into, but he doesn't look like he's going to be a starter, or even a 1B. Uh, He looks like he'll probably be a capable backup for somebody at some point, but I... I don't necessarily know that you're all that upset if that's what you lose.
0: Well, i get as much as I can for him, to be honest with you, rather than letting him walk. If I can get second, third, whatever, better than walking. I mean, at least you get something for him. I
3: you're don't even know that, that it would be that high at that point. Um, I If they're going to get something for Prosvitov, I look at this as like another Connor Timmons situation where you're looking at maybe another AHL goaltender, or an AHL, you know, middle six skater or something like that, but you're probably not getting anything of substance back. I wouldn't imagine, even if there's a draft pick involved in there, that it's higher than, I don't know, fourth or fifth round.
1: Yeah, because keep in mind with that, you are essentially a month away from getting them for free on the waivers, yeah, you risk other teams getting him, but why would you pay a price for a goalie who's going to be available for free and pretty soon after that?
3: Yeah, and you're still talking well, about a goalie who hasn't done a lot at the NHL level. So if you're paying a price for somebody, you have to believe in what you've seen in the AHL and in juniors. And there was a lot of that a couple of years ago from Prosvetov. He looked great playing in the CHL and his first year in Tucson was pretty good as well. But last year, not as much this year, more of the same. Uh, it just hasn't yeah, he's been really, great.
1: He's really regressed the last two years in Tucson. He's not taken a step forward at all. He's like I said, regressed gone backwards. It hasn't been pretty. Um, he has looked decent when he's been called up to the NHL very, very inconsistent, though. He'll have games where he looks like he's not going to let anything pass him, and then he'll have games where it looks like he can't stop a beach ball. But that's, that's, that's a young goalie thing. My thing I look at with this is are any of these three guys the goalie of
2: the after the rebuild? And
1: I don't think they are so do you look at getting something for Veggie while his value is going to be at his highest this offseason? Potentially at his highest, I should say. And then rolling with these two, letting them battle it out and see who can win the 1B or backup goalie to whoever our goalie of the future is in the future. Um, The other thing, too, with Prosvatov
2: is... I don't know if it's next year, but
1: Anson Thornton is going to need an AHL job very soon, and we want to clear that up, and we don't want him battling with Prozbatov for that if we want him to grow. So to me, there's a lot of reasons to move one of these goalies, and Veggie makes the most sense to me because he's the guy you can get the most for, no other reason. And yeah, just see what the Ingram and Prospetov battle can be.
3: Yeah, to kind of answer your question, I, I actually do have some faith that Ingram would be a guy that I'd want to see stick around after the rebuild. Um, when Vimelka's hot, he's hot. He is one of the best goalies in hockey. But we saw that with Jordan Bennington, you know, when, when they won what, 2019? And Bennington went on an absolute heater. They win, and all of a sudden, you know, he's got two or three terrible years back-to-back. He's got five more years at, what, six million a year. It's just not a, a great look for St. Louis right now. So you have to be aware of taking that goalie that, or signing that goalie that wasn't you know, your high pick that has tons of NHL experience and looking at him as being your long-term solution.
1: Yeah. And and that's just, that's the thing with goalies in general is they're so, they really are so fickle. There's so so few that are consistently good that it's really tough. One team that I think has played this incredibly well, actually is Carolina, we they've been questioned in the past about, oh, why did they let Nad go? Well, Ned is now in the minors for the Detroit Red Wings because he couldn't maintain his what looked like insane start to his career. Um they just they don't pay for unproven goalies because oh, there's a fifty percent chance they don't
3: work out, it seems. To be fair to a guy like Nedeljkovic, he went from guys like Brady Shea and Noah Hannafin, and uh, he went to Detroit. I mean, there's going to be a a pretty big swing there defensively. Scoring chances against you are going to go way up, and they're going to be better. So, There
1: is. There is. But when other goalies have still managed to look good behind that defense, Mm -hmm. Vili Huso has been just fine. He hasn't been great, but he's been fine behind it. They've called up – oh, what was that guy's name? They had a goalie that was called up that looked good. Other goalies have been fine behind that defense, whereas Nedeljkovic was actively
2: bad
3: yeah it's a fair point yeah i I'm with you guys i you don't you don't pay a ton of money for goalies. It's just not the best way to handle your business um in Arizona, we saw it with Mike Smith in St Louis they're seeing it with bennington l a seeing it right now with cal Peterson cal Peterson still has what three more years at five million a year, and he's playing in the american League so yeah, I'm I'm all for if they get a solid offer for Vimelka, move on. Let Connor Ingram be the guy. See what you got in Prosbotov. If Prosvatov doesn't work out and you know you only signed him to a one or a two year deal, you can waive him, you can not retain him the following year. Do whatever you gotta do. But I I do think their their best bet going forward is Connor Ingram. Um He's young enough that he'll be there after the rebuild. And unlike Prosvitov, he did dominate in his AHL career. He's had a very, very good American Hockey League career. And One thing
1: on the Ingram front, too. Uh, him versus Veggie. This isn't him versus Prosvitov. This is him versus Veggie. When Veggie is on, his eth- it's because of his athleticism. He's making incredibly acrobatic saves. It seems like he's rarely great positionally. And to me, the best goalies are usually the ones that are really spot-on positionally. Whereas Ingram, Ingram seems to be really solid fundamentally, really solid with his positioning, plus has the acrobatics to make that great save when he needs to. And that to me, that's what, that's what is the difference between Ingram and Veggie as far as long-term goes. And that's why, again,
2: I'm more a fan of moving Veggie.
0: That was really good. Thank you guys for covering me. I had to quickly change my setup back. But uh, just a quick question I thought of just because in the middle of it, we got Ingram from what trade again? Did we draft him? I don't remember that. I remember, but I don't remember. it. Just I drew a blank and I was like, where do we get Ingram from? Rep- I didn't remember. Say again? Waiver pickup. Waiver pickup. That's what it was. I was like, I know. Oh. I, I thought he was part of a trade, but no, that sounds right. Okay. Well,
1: that's all I had. And I know a couple of Nashville Predators fans, and they were all very upset when they waived him. Hmm. Kind of like because they were facing the same position that we're facing with Prozbadov next year. They were going to lose him for nothing. It was either lose him for nothing or give him the backup cut job, and they signed another goalie to be the backup, so they lost him for nothing. And right now they are kicking themselves for that.
0: What about, what about the coyotes makes us such good goalie developers? Like, I just know like we had, you know, Mike Smith kind of had a career research and I hate to say that name. My mouth is burning. Sorry, Haynes. Um, we had obviously Kemper. So what, what, what's in our system that just makes us be able to get these goalies the way they are?
3: ton of shots against for one, um, if you're going to be a goalie in the NHL, the best thing that can happen to you is repetition and seeing a ton of different situations. Um, experience playing in Arizona is going to help.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a lot of shots. It's,
1: is it's easier to look good. One, like with target system, for instance, just as an example, Tockett's system kind of bred really good goaltenders because they faced a lot of shots, but they were all to the outside. So they always had high shots, high saves, high save percentage on relatively low-quality shots. Um, for all of his faults as a coach, Tockett did have a pretty good sound defensive structure, even if it did let through a lot of shots. Um and that's it was kind of the same way with Tippett too so we had that with both of those guys uh the other thing is is we just have t- taken gambles on large goalies with athleticism and those are the guys that tend to when they hit when they're on they are on so On top of Matt's point about facing a lot of shots.
2: Plus,
1: we've also had really, really really good goaltending coaches with Sean Burke and Corey Schwab.
0: Oh, Sean Burke. I knew it was like, doesn't there one? Yeah, that's right, that name. Yep, that'll do it. Oh, wait, I can actually share. Now that I'm back to my normal stuff, let's put
2: this back up there. Stand by, sirs. There we go. Okay, cool. So,
0: back to it all. Um, Just looking at to be, with a beautiful transition, uh, looking at the Keller for Masterson and the Masili for Calder. Um, You actually have here subsection B, or exhibit B, that I'll pull up also on my screen. We have the comparison of... Good old Maselli and Matty Beniers. And I guess it's, what do you guys think would be, I guess, state your case for one of these two. Who do you think is going to come out on top? And do you have a reason why? Hopefully that made sense on the air. I don't know.
1: If I can start with this, I, th- I think Matty Beniers is going to come out on top. Um. He's had a really good consistent year. And this isn't to take anything away from Matthias Picelli. We all know what a big fan of his I am. It's just uh he's had a really good consistent year on a team that's going to be in the playoffs. And at the end of the day, we can argue whether team success should matter with these, especially with rookie of the year, which
2: I don't think it should. But
1: um Team success almost always does come into play with this, at least somewhat. But having said that, Michelli should be, there is no reason any other player aside from Beniers, to me, even really has an argument with ben- with uh, Michelli. Michelli should be the clear-cut number two and should be in the running for number one. Even if I think Beniers is going to... just. Dis- uh, win it. And again, I'm not going to be upset when Veneers wins it. At least he deserves it. Um, Machelli should easily be the runner up, though. If he's not, it is very clearly because nobody watches Arizona hockey.
3: Matt, you got anything? So there's two things here for me. Um, yes, it, it should be Veneers, hands down. Um, a lot of people like to ignore the fact that um you know Michelli missed time they they don't like to look at that as being a negative and in normal circumstances you don't however one of the big transitions to playing the pro game is the schedule uh, you're playing 82 games as opposed to 60 games um your schedule's more condensed, your practices are different, the way teams structure meetings, your meals, all of that takes so much to adjust to and to get used to. So it actually is a testament to rookies that are able to play 75-plus games. And I, to me, it's one of the few awards where the number of games played factors into whether or not a player should win it. Um, I think Michelli's had an unbelievable year and if he plays every game, he's probably, I mean, then the points and everything else are there. He's much more deserving, but to me, you can talk about, yeah, he's number one in, in points per game and assists per game. And, uh, you know, he creates more than any other rookie and by a long shot, but he missed six weeks. Um, the second point to me is the goal totals. He just scored his 10th, and unfortunately, that's not enough. Not when Matty Beniers is probably going to score 25, 26. It's just, it, it really does matter to voters at that point, because scoring goals in the NHL is the hardest thing to do, whether you're a designated playmaker or not. Um, The the goal numbers are are pretty bad. And the expected goal, expected goals for, um, not a great number from him either. So he doesn't really create and put himself in positions to take those high danger chances. He does play around the perimeter a little bit. There's a lot to his game that's got to evolve. And then last but not least, in this rookie class, outside of Stuart Skinner, Matias Michelli's is the oldest one. Um, at 22 years old. And apparently age only doesn't matter if you're Michael Bunting playing in Toronto, but in Arizona, you don't get the same attention. And then when you're 22 years old and you have already played 23 games last season, it hurts you a little bit.
0: I love the dig at Toronto.
3: The
1: The other thing too I want to point out is if you look at Matty Beneers' numbers that you have on screen, Michelli holds his own defensively with these, but Beneers is absolutely elite defensively here. And that is so rare for a young guy. I mean, again, Beneers is really, really, really good. It is not a bad thing for Michelli or Beneers that he's going to lose a Calder to him. Veneers has had a phenomenal rookie year and deserves all the oh, accolades he's getting. Just please, give give Michelli a little bit of respect.
0: And just to add to your point, Grandy, for those um, obviously just listening to us, uh, what Grandy's referring to is our is to the excuse me, uh, the D-zone recoveries per game, which is sitting at 6.60, which is first amongst rookies. Uh, and the uh, Ozone Recoveries per game, which is three point nine. There's so many numbers. I'm not good with numbers. Um which is third amongst rookies, and puck steals being seventh, and then interceptions being third. So just to kind of add so that way you guys aren't totally lost out there listening to us only. So just to add
1: yeah. to that. Yeah the the D zone recoveries of six point six is that's that is absolutely fantastic for any player, let alone a rookie. Yeah. That, I mean, that's how many that times, Yeah. That's how many times we're collecting the puck in the defensive zone and essentially regaining possession of it. But one thing I do want to point out, one thing I've always <clears throat> held pretty true to me is I think one of the most underrated and most important skills a player can have is exiting and entering zones. And right there, Michelli actually has 4.83 D zone. I'm sorry, 3.52. That was his D zone recoveries per game, which again is pretty good. Second watch rookies. But he has 3.52 D zone exit carries per game. That is how many times per game he is carrying the puck out of the zone. He is clearing the puck out of the defensive zone on his own. It's that that is really, really good
0: up from here, too, he's a rookie. So, I mean, it's only going to get better over time. So, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I think, as you said, you know, Macelli definitely deserves the respect on his name after this season. So, Matt?
3: Yeah, the a big part of that, too, like what Grandy brought up, um, as far as the defensive numbers go, what Michelli does, not quite on the level of Beneers. It is worth noting Beneers is a center. As a center, typically you play down low a little more frequently. Um you're usually just a little more involved in the in the defensive play down low. So that will affect that. But the transition numbers are unbelievable for Michelli. He is ordering on you know everybody talks about how good Nick Schmaltz is at getting into the zone. Um, Michelli's right there with him. Like right there with him and that's a huge deal especially if the Coyotes do look at potentially moving on from Nick Schmaltz at some point, because you need a guy who can carry, carry the puck into the zone, make that first pass out of the D zone, and most importantly, get you set up on the power play. Um, I know there's a lot of people that have wondered why Matthias hasn't played on that top unit, considering how good of a playmaker he is. That second unit would be in a lot of trouble without him, because they wouldn't get the puck into the zone. It's a huge, huge, huge asset that never gets talked about.
1: Yeah. Beneers is a the center. They're going to be the guy carrying the puck in more often than not into the offensive zone. And Beneers has seven offensive zone carries per game. Whereas I'm sorry. It's entry here. Uh, entry carries is what I'm looking at. He has 2.67 entry carries per game. And Michelli has three point one five. That is again insanely good for any player, let alone rookies.
0: It's amazing to see that even like the fact that a coyotes player is in the talk for a Calder is its nice. It just goes to show the rebuild's kind of bearing some fruit and being a little bit worth it. So a little bit longer, Coyotes fans, we're almost we're almost through it. So
3: maybe coolie yeah, be the one. We'll see. I was gonna say, unfortunately, we could have another one in discussion in Logan Cooley, but Connor Bedard will be in the league next year as well, and that'll be a tough one to wrestle away.
2: It's gonna be exciting. Yeah.
1: as hyped as Bedard is, as hyped as Bedard is, what would Cooley have to do realistically to win it next year? In your opinion, win a,
0: win a cup for Toronto, or play for Toronto, or be from Toronto or be a fan of Toronto or say he loves Toronto or say his grandpa's dad's ashes are buried in Toronto. Like, I don't know whatever I think you do for Toronto. Basically the only way he'd beat Bedard next year, but
3: unless, we'll unless Bedard goes to Anaheim, which Toronto hates just as much as Arizona and, and now oh, they're on even ground.
0: That's it. But yeah. That's exactly. No,
3: re- realistically, um, short of, short of a miraculous, I don't want to call it miraculous, but unbelievable rookie season from Logan Cooley. It should be Connor Bedard. Arizona's probably going to put Cooley in a position where he's going to play somewhat sheltered, whether it's top line minutes, but on the wing or some second line center, let Barrett Hayton keep doing what he's doing. Don't put Cooley in a, uh, you know, tough matchup type situation and, you know, maybe let him do his thing from there. If you look at the teams right now, positioned in lottery spots, whether it be Chicago, um, Columbus, Anaheim, uh, Montreal, there's there's not a ton of depth throughout those teams. So, with the exception of maybe Montreal, and you get some great chemistry with maybe Suzuki and Caulfield or something, um. Logan Cooley will potentially have better wingers around him and that might swing things in his favor just a little bit. Um, but yeah, otherwise, Connor Bedard's unreal. Unreal. The only thing that, that might actually change this and the Coyotes do have a Calder winner is if the Coyotes win the lottery and they get Bedard. One thing I yeah. want to
1: point out, just, just because it's something that's been bugging me ever since it's been announced... But to, po- to Tyler's point of being involved with Toronto in some way, shape, or form, how on earth is Maddie Nye's third, in, or not third, in the finalists for the Hobie Baker when he was third on his own line? He was the third option on his own line, and he's one of
3: the top three finalists. I want to know how he won on the prospect. I want to know, know how he won Big Ten Player of the Year when Logan Cooley and Adam Fantilli both play in the same conference. In Boy, this, had this, more the points answer's than been him.
0: revealed. We already know the answer. It's already gazing upon us, sirs. We know. In fact, let me make a phone call. Um, it appears to be, uh, you know, we know the answer. I think because he has, what's this badge on his chest? Oh, right, this one. There's your answer, Toronto Maple Leafs. That's it. Doesn't matter. He could be a, a kid in, in in junior hockey, like eight years old. They'll qualify him for the Calder just because he plays for Toronto. It doesn't matter. The Golden Boys.
1: It's it's been something I've been griping about to Matt in our messages back and forth ever since it's been announced. He Snuggeru was deserving. Lane Hudson was deserving. Um. I had two other guys I was thinking of that were deserving as well, but they escaped my mind right this second. There are several players deserving, more deserving, in my opinion, than Matthew Nye's. And again, I have nothing against Matthew Nye's. He's an Arizona boy. I love him. He's going to be a great NHLer, but he should not be a finalist for the Hobie Baker. <laughs> we, know be. we know why.
2: We know why.
3: Yeah, I mean, if you're going to take into consideration, um, you know, who actually had some outstanding seasons, and you ignore the age aspect because it's been it's been kind of a trend, unless you're an absolute elite player in the NCAA, that they actually do favor upperclassmen when it comes to awards like that. Um, uh, who recently just signed in Montreal, um, had an unreal season as well. And quite honestly, is probably more deserving. As well as Snuggerud and Lane Hudson. And even Luke Hughes. Luke Hughes had a phenomenal season as well. Um, Hughes was
1: definitely one of the guys I was thinking of.
3: All of them are are definitely a little more deserving in my opinion. But, you know, at Nye's plays... A very, very strong two-way game. He uses his size well. To be fair to that top line, he is the defensive driver on that line. Um, Logan Cooley did okay defensively. Snug and rude, not a defensive guy at all, but great in the corners, great at retrieving pucks. Logan Cooley, obviously the offensive numbers driver, but Matty Nyes was the defensive driver on that line, and maybe that factors into it a little more than... It does for anyone else, and maybe it gets looked at it as those Minnesota guys got to do what they did, Logan Cooley and Snuggerud, because Maddie Nyes was on that line defensively.
1: And there's definitely an argument for that. And again, this is not to take anything away from Maddie Nyes, the hockey player. I think he's going to be a terrific NHLer. It's just, oh man. Uh just when you've had so many historic seasons as you had this year, to give it to to have him as one of the finalists
2: just boggles my mind.
0: Anyways, the Toronto kid is uh, you know, excuse from Arizona. So now, how do Leafs fans supposed to feel about that? Because they keep saying that hockey isn't in the desert. Arizona is a hockey team, but they're player who's in the running for that is from Arizona and likely grew up a bit of an Arizona Coyotes fan to some degree. So
1: what about next year when a third of their top six is going to be from Arizona?
0: Does this look the other way? No. uh, Well, we, we meant, uh, well, you know, uh, Tim Hortons. Okay, buddy, whatever.
3: Well, we got a little off track on there as we were talking yeah. about awards um the next one to talk about was Clayton Keller for the Masterton award um there's there's a lot of people that specul- speculate it's going to be Chris Letang who uh had a stroke earlier in the year was still able to return to play um uh, Grandy, make your case for Clayton Keller as far as a Masterton Award winner. And
1: again, this isn't to take anything away
3: from Chris Letang.
1: He had a remarkable recovery, and the fact that he's playing hockey today is amazing. I sure as hell wouldn't it be. But Clayton Keller snapped his leg... Just under a year ago, missed the entire off season, essentially rehabbing. Came back and is a point per game player, and probably going to be the best Coyotes season single season ever on a team that has essentially overperformed what everybody expected that they would do simply because of him. He, he, yep. He is responsible for so much. When you look at our numbers with and without Keller, it is scary how bad we get when he's not out there. And it's scary how good we are when he's out there. When you factor those things in, how can it not be him? He's...
2: The Coyotes were expected to be the laughingstock of the
1: NHL, battling with Chicago for last place, and instead... We're not even going to finish top five, or bottom five, I should say. We're not going to be in the bottom five teams essentially because Clayton Keller willed us out of it. That's remarkable. When you sit there and truly think about it, it's not often you have one player have that big an impact on a team, and he did.
0: Single-handedly took out our running for Connor Bedard.
1: Yeah. Again. He broke his leg a little over
0: a year ago. Just, a good snap too, like a big snap, like not a small break. Like it, uh, it was a pretty damn good in two pieces break.
1: That needed surgery. I was shocked when he was out there that di- game one.
2: Will power. Hell
0: of a drug. It's yeah,
3: it's it's pretty incredible what he's done. It's not like he broke his leg at Christmas and then you know, was up and on his skates by April or May, and and getting to work out all summer. He he had an off season unlike any other off season he's ever had. Um, he had to make a ton of changes, and he he wasn't cleared to play. He wasn't even cleared for contact until I don't know what two two games before the regular season, the final two preseason yeah. games, maybe, yeah. and that was just being cleared for contact. That wasn't, you know, like, okay, you, you've been practicing and, and you're ready to go. Let's get you back out there. But we're going to hold you out for the final two games because, you know, you're a veteran and whatever. That was, all right, you can join the team for practice 10 days before the season starts. And then he comes out and, you know, knock on wood, we got four games left, but he's going to play 82 games after you know, breaking his leg the way he did, and he's already, he's already secured a point per game on the season. He's got 82. It's looking like it might be a little tougher to hit 87. Two more games against Seattle, who's a deep team, and, you know, there really is no, no way to try and match him up against a bad line because Seattle doesn't really have one right now. They're basically four second lines. Um, and then a game against Anaheim and a game against Vancouver. So does he All get five next. more points? And yeah, yeah. Well, I think the one Seattle, yeah, the next one, one Seattle's on the, the road. F- yep. And then, and yeah, then three a- more I'm, at home. Yeah.
2: But yeah, at it, home?
3: it's, it, it's going to be close. I, I don't know if he'll break Chuck's record. I still think he's got a fair shot at tying it. I don't think he hits 40 goals anymore, but we're still talking about a guy who, is absolutely leading this team who's coming back off a broken leg. Uh, one of the – and and this isn't just, you know, Coyote's puffer. I mean, everybody across the NHL has talked about how gruesome the leg injury was last year, seeing him stretchered off the ice. And I, he he literally asked, am I ever going to be able to play hockey again? That's how bad this injury was. And here we are. He's going to play a full season – He's point for game player to me. If there's anything that that says perseverance and sportsmanship and dedication to the game, it's what Clayton Keller did to overcome his injury and get back this year.
0: I'm trying to find like more details on the specific leg injury, but it yeah, I mean it was gruesome. It wasn't a cute little break. A little, it was. I think it was in two pieces. I think I saw someone mention somewhere. So don't quote me on that. But it's amazing. I mean, that's how many athletes get to bounce back from that. Really, especially as quickly. I mean, but do you guys think this is, how do I phrase this? His only chance, again, there's the air quotes there, of having a season like this, or is this going to be a consistent Keller? If you had, to again, crystal balling it, you have no other factors. Just do you think this is that hot season, or is this a Keller for the future?
3: This, this is who Keller is. We saw it last year leading up to him getting hurt, but he he's figured it out. And Turnier's brought that out of him. It's not just his his ability to to create, but his ability to go go retrieve pucks in the defensive zone uh His zone entries have gotten much better. His zone exits are there uh he reads plays unbelievably well if you watch him kind of dart in and out of the slot areas um you know head up the whole time he's not you know looking at the puck and and that's a big thing that shooters like to do they like to kind of look down at the puck and then look back up as they're trying to pick their spot and it kind of tips goalies off Keller's head's constantly up um he attacks defenders with speed now whereas before he'd kind of gain the zone he might try and crisscross or whatever now he's attacking full speed, back a defender down, and then he slows up getting into the zone just as he comes over the blue line, and he creates that gap. And that gap opens up all kinds of passing lanes, it opens up shooting lanes. He's actually got command of the game. Whereas before, I think he was trying to do so much that it was that it was almost squeezing the stick a little too hard. And just trying to do too much and not simplify things. He's found a way to really slow things down, really open the game up. And I think this is who he is moving forward. He's going to be a bona fide point per game, you know, high end player, first line player in the NHL for the next five or seven years. And, you know, we'll see where he's at as as he ages. Does he age better than, you know, most players who start getting into their early 30s? I think he does. I think we have somebody like Patrick Kane, not not Patrick Kane exactly, but like Patrick Kane light.
1: One thing that I was listening, and there's a great podcast out there, by the way, uh, the PDO podcast, who had a great segment on Clayton Keller recently. You got to ignore their little jabs in Arizona that they got in there, but it was a great podcast, well worth listened. One thing that they mentioned that struck me as insane was how few shot assists Keller has created. And they were using it to argue that he wasn't a playmaker. And it's definitely not that. Because if you've watched Keller long enough, you know he's a playmaker. It's that he hasn't had a shooter on his line. He hasn't had that guy with the shoot-first mentality who gets the puck and shoots it. So he's not going to get that. So even as his ice time goes down, as we get more talented, because he gets those shooters, because he gets guys like that on his team, his points will still stay right around the same. This is this is who he is. This is what we have. And, again, got to give ourselves a little pat on the back with the – we won the battle of Keller Hill.
0: We really did. We're worth all the ammo, all the bullets. It's worth it. It's amazing to see him now and seeing just the turnaround. Like, just scrolling through Twitter now and Facebook now, I mean, the tune has completely changed. I mean, which is good. It's, it's good for everyone. We all win, you know, And then at the end of the day. so. But it, this is also another crystal ball moment. If you guys could gaze into your crystal balls for me, do you think Keller gets the C patch this next season? Get a bet right now. You gotta put your money on something. Do you give it to Keller this year, or is it a thing that's gonna wait? Crystal balling it completely. Crystal balling it.
1: I'm gonna say he gets it this off season. Yeah, I think he's done enough this year to show it's ready. If we're truly past the tank, there's no reason not to give it to someone unless you're saving it for Cooley or Bedard, and I don't see why you would right now. Um. So, yeah, I think you're going to see Keller get a C. I think you're going to see Kraus get an A. And I th- think... Malamaki? Much to several Coyotes fans' dismay, I think you're going to see Fisher get an A. C- a.
3: Mm. I mean, yeah, that makes sense, too. Yeah. I think the Coyotes hold off one more season. Um, I, I know they know who their core is and and who they want to build around. Um, I don't think it has anything to do with Keller's age. I don't think it has anything to do with this past. I think, I coming off of Chain Doan, they moved to OEL. And it didn't really work out the way they wanted it to. And the fan base kind of ate them alive. For it, and I, I do think that I, I don't want to say that Shane Doan's going to have a say in this, but Shane Doan being in the organization, I, I do imagine that, um, that creates a little extra pressure to get it right, um, while he's still here. So, I think they hold off another year. I think they want to see one more year of. Keller being Keller, and I think they probably want to see him be a little more outspoken. Um, Granted, I don't know what happens in the locker room, but he's still a pretty quiet guy, and I I think they maybe wait another year to see what they get there, if he kind of opens up or, you know, stays the quiet type, because there's nothing wrong with wearing an A and going with three of them.
0: I think... I think he uh, was grandy here. I think he does get. It. I think the when he showed up the Tempe, you know, thing initially last summer, his overall game. I feel like he's really kind of grown to his own. Maybe the wait a year, but I think I think to see is Keller's. I think probably this season. I think the fans love him. He's a fan favorite. He appears to be, you know, outside the organization doing things. So I, I think he gets it. In addition to what Grandy has said as well. So guess we'll see. But moving on, we have the Frozen Four, which is the hockey version of the March Madness, which is a lot better in my opinion. But we have Arizona prospect Logan Cooley and a little Team Michigan, who I might be going for just because of family ties, but looks to be pretty good. Are we excited for the Frozen Four boys?
3: Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited for it. Uh Action kicks off tomorrow. Minnesota and uh, uh, Boston University, of Massachusetts, and this is going to be a fun one. This is going to be Logan Cooley and Lane Hudson. Lane Hudson, another guy who probably should have been a Hobie Baker finalist. Minnesota is a much more complete team. I don't want to say they're just going to you know go out there slam Boston and and move on, but uh, should be a game. That they get through, and with any luck, we'll see a Minnesota-Michigan final on Saturday.
1: Yeah, the the Michigan game too is a little intriguing to me because you have Coyote's prospect Sam Lipkin on Quinnipiac, and then you also have future Coyote Adam Fantilli on Michigan. So <laughs> I'm going to speak it yeah. into the
2: universe. I hope so. um,
1: But, yeah, Cooley's had a remarkable playoffs. He's had the last game that they played, he just went off. He dominated every facet of the game. He's been Minnesota's best player through it, and Minnesota has a really, really good team. Not saying Boston can't beat them, but it would take an unreal effort from them to do so. I think we're all just sitting here waiting for the Michigan-Golden State face-off again, just like they did in the Big Ten championship game, which Michigan narrowly won. So if that happens, if Michigan and Minnesota is a championship game, that is definitely appointment television.
3: Yeah, definitely so just, worth noting that the, the road for Minnesota is considerably easier than Michigan. Uh, obviously nothing's set. You know, Minnesota's still got a game to win. Quinnipiac and, and Michigan is going to be a phenomenal game to watch. Those two teams are absolute powerhouses. They're number two and number three in the tournament. That's going to be a good one, and there's no guarantee for Michigan.
0: Well, just to add, um, the games will be on uh, tomorrow, 2 p.m. Arizona time on ESPN2 for Minnesota and Boston. And then you have the other one, uh, Quinnipiac and Michigan at 5.30 Arizona time on the same channel. all uh, well, will the universe, uh, Michigan did beat Maryland in NCAA last weekend. So hopefully that energy will cross over. NCAA lacrosse, excuse me. It's all NCAA so hopefully that energy crosses over. Family ties go blue. I'm uh, very excited to watch these games. So
1: what happens if Michigan plays A&M?
0: That's tough. See, that's the thing I always thought about because you know, I'm a big you know cultural football fan. AM is my team. I love ASU, but A and M football, that's it. I always wondered like what would happen if they ever did go against. So I'd have to go with AM. I'd have to. That's my main Family team, it'd be torn. I'd definitely wear some like Michigan underpants or something over my, under my Aggie, you know, jersey and whatnot, but uh, it'd be tough. It'd be really mm-hmm. tough. So it's just ASU hockey in Michigan because I cheered for Michigan for a long time just because you know, my uncle really close to my uncle. And so if they ever played in some big thing, it'd be hard to pick too. It's like, oh man, got my state and then my family's team. So I don't know, it'd be interesting. Like I see that one day, ASU, hopefully. Hopefully,
3: fingers crossed. Yeah, baseball and basketball, uh, you know, bear down, U of A, let's go. Nobody cares about ASU. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. All you, all you get, guys care I about ASU, baseball. and all everybody cares about ASU. And even this U of A fan, because, you know, Coyotes are still here because of ASU, Sharon Mullett Arena, I'll show them a little respect here, but still, bear down.
0: Recording this. By the way, I'm keeping just, this sound bite that you just took. I'm keeping that sound file. I'm gonna hold on to it. Whenever U of a I hockey thought, catches up. Bear downs. I thought
1: we had a stipend in the contract though that Matt wasn't allowed to say bear down until they got a D1. Team bear down in the hockey.
0: Oh actually bear let me check Brandy. with the secretary. Let me see. Uh she's nope, she's waving it. We didn't get anything signed, so he's good to go on that one. So we'll have to rework her contract for the next season then. We'll have to see. How could I forget that? Sorry. But uh Giga Maggies and on to the next topic. So uh Actually, we have time for the deadline. We talked about this a little bit before our pre show. But it looks like uh, some of us have lost fantasy points. Some of us have made good trades at their fantasy deadlines over a certain player. But I just want to check in with you boys, get the pulse going on uh, some trades like maybe Bo Horvat, Jacob Chikrin, how those are kind of going and how you're feeling about the various trades throughout the NHL. Matt, I think you have an interesting anecdote for us on this one, if you want to start us off.
3: Fuck Bo Horvat! Legal, you're gonna have to edit that. Uh, Uh, Bo Horvat is is ruining my fantasy season. I'm in the championship game right now. I am winning, not by much, but I swear if Bo Horvat could put up maybe more than I don't know three points as an Islander in what 15 or 16 games, if not more, now I'd be doing okay. But at this point, it it absolutely looks like. Vancouver killed it in that deal. Um, It was pretty close initially. Things are actually getting worse for the Islanders now because as an aging team, you wonder, you know, maybe it's not such a great idea to bring in Horvat. And then they sign him to an eight-year deal, and he's not producing there. Uh, He just does not seem to be a fit there right now. That's not to say that might not change, especially if the Islanders miss the playoffs and they look another direction, you know, head coach wise and, you know, they maybe retool on the fly there that might end up working out. But as of right now, I I was I was I don't want to say I was heavily favoring the Islanders when that trade went down, but I, I did think they probably had a slight edge there. Not anymore. It's not even close.
2: Yeah, and I played I play
1: Dynasty Fantasy Hockey, and I knew this year was a rebuild year for my team. Um, So I had Bo out as well, and the day he was traded to the Islanders, I'm like, yeah, I need to get rid of him before the Islanders absolutely tank his value because the Islanders can't find offense if it hit him in the face. Oh.
0: You know, I know an so, Islanders fan, I- we could definitely bring on the pod. Yeah, he's a cool guy. I mentioned him last week, uh, my buddy Brandon there at the office. I think he'd love to, He was super hyped about it. I think he's going to buy a Horvat jersey, actually.
3: Yeah, but he still loves oh. it right now.
0: Oh, yeah. I'll, you know, let see if he'll answer. I'll text him and see if he can mid-show get his opinion on Bo Horvat. If you text me in time, we'll see.
1: But, yeah, I would like to thank you to the guy I traded Bo Horvat to for the fifth overall pick in this year's incredibly deep draft. And a future second round pick.
0: So that guy was probably like licking his chops. Like, Oh, I just got Bo Horvat for a fifth round pick. Like I am about to no, clean house
1: overall. He Excuse was in me. the playoffs. He was in the playoffs when he traded for Horvat. Just saying that's, that's even how better. bad that's Horvat's has He was
0: probably licking his chops. Like I'm about to just take it. This is mine to lose. And Barron, just allows his way to the bank. What's your team name, Matt? I'm curious. What would you name your fantasy team?
3: So, all right. I, uh, I play defense and my goaltender has a slight issue with how much time I actually spend in our own zone. I don't want to say I'm out of position all the time, but I love to pinch on the play. So my team name is actually the Tucson Pinching Defenseman, just so that every time he gets on, he's got to look at my team name and think about the fact that I'm about to hang him out to dry. (laughs)
0: I like it.
1: Grandy. what's yours? So, the one I'm talking about, we are supposed to have team names type thing. And if you know me, you know I'm a sucker for vintage hockey stuff. I am the
2: California Golden Seals. That's cool. Good choice. Can't go wrong with that.
3: So, moving on to the next trade, uh, the Jacob Chickren deal. How's that worked out for Ottawa, guys? Um. Ah, uh,
1: well. Last I checked, <laughs> they are uh, not going to make the playoffs. Jacob Chikrin is hurt. Oh boy, who saw that coming? And yeah. Let's see. Yeah, the Coyotes look like they're going to be licking their chops with a 12th or 13th overall pick.
0: And we're the losers, right? We're the ones that lost that trade. Because as of right now, Ottawa is. Not even in the playoff spot. Yeah. I and mean, they don't get the wild card there.
3: I think three they've actually been eliminated. I'm, I, think, points. If I think they haven't
0: were, been eliminated.
1: Their magic number is real low. I think it's like one or two.
0: Keller has more points than they do on the season. That's <laughs> something. They have 81. Keller has more than that. So, hey, you know, works out. Yep. Thank you, and, Ottawa.
3: We didn't lose worth, anything. Worth noting the second round pick that we got from them. Next year is Washington's second-round pick. Washington's going to miss the playoffs this year. They're expected to get just a little bit worse. Um, It's been rumored that Kuznetsov has requested a trade again. It wouldn't be the first time he's done that. We'll see if there's any truth to that or not. But that pick could end up being a relatively high second-round pick again next year. So that deal's really starting to to look great for Arizona. Um, I, after this year, I do hope Jacob Chickering rebounds and, and does well. But for this year, I'm, I'm kind of glad things worked out the way they did. Um, It's unfortunate that he got hurt, but fortunately the, the senators are going to miss the playoffs. And he was supposed to be the guy that kind of got them over the hump.
0: It's also just, I remember just hearing online, just being everyone be like, oh man, Arizona gave it away for nothing. They absolutely got, got fleeced. They're losers. What the heck? He escaped a bad situation. But I mean, one of our guys yeah, the, has more points than your entire team. So I'm cool with that.
3: Yeah. The I'll biggest thing there was that he, uh, he had asked for the trade a year and a half ago. Um, and it took so long and everybody thought, you know, the coyotes overplayed their hand. Ottawa's got, St. Louis and Detroit right on their heels as well. I mean, that pick could get even better than 12th. So we'll see how that goes. I think Arizona made out really well on this one, especially if you look at what Chicago got for Alex And Nothing against Chickren, but Dabrinkit's a a guy who's in the lineup every single night. He's a 40-goal scorer in his career. He's probably worth a little more than Chickren in terms of a trade and the value that Arizona got back was actually pretty close. When you look at it right now,
2: I'd
1: argue it's higher. Cause I would,
3: when you look at
1: this draft, the 12th overall pick is pretty comparable to last year's Seventh overall pick. If you
3: ask me. So um, maybe, I don't know that I'd go quite that high, but I, I do. It's, it's...
1: Close enough that the second and the second should make up for it.
3: Yeah, I, uh, the big thing there is that they did get two additional second-round picks, and Ottawa got a better player in DeBrinket than they did in Chickering. So if you kind of uh, rework those numbers, so to speak, or those values, um, yeah, it, it is it is very even to that, and I don't remember. Anybody claiming that, you know, Chicago got fleeced for getting the seventh overall pick. So, I don't know. Maybe that's the original six bump that you get when you make a, a trade like that. But Arizona definitely didn't get it.
0: Sounds like we uh, took the fat W on that one.
3: What's funny, too,
1: and going back to this is I think if... If we make the trade on draft day, nobody's saying shit about it. Everybody's talking about how, oh yeah, they they made it up pretty well with that deal. But I think people couldn't get the whole two firsts and a prospect out of their mind. They heard the two firsts and a prospect. So to see one first and zero prospects was a shock, I want to say. But at the same time, Bill Armstrong hasn't been trading for prospects his entire time here. He's been trading for picks, or he's been trading for prospects who are going to make the team the next season.
2: He, he has
1: a goal in mind, and those goals involve picks.
2: It's
3: just it is what it is with when it comes to it um one more that i i did want to talk about not so much as a any specific trade here but we talked a little bit around the deadline about how many moves Toronto made and how they basically tore down their team to rebuild it all new in the bottom 6 and in their third pair and did they make too many changes um you know the the big one for me is Rasmus Sandin oh my god is he looked good in washington and toronto got a first round pick for him and they made oh. room for Luke Shen and that was the whole reason that they moved Rasmus i to me i i didn't hate the deal initially um because i i did like the playoff experience and everything that shen brings he's got a couple of cups in tampa But, man, has that looked like a terrible, terrible move for Toronto. Additionally, Ryan O'Reilly finally getting to the point where he might play this weekend. Um, But he's missed a ton of time. Achari's been, I don't want to call him non-existent, but he's been invisible um, for the most part. I, I really think they unloaded some talent that they didn't need to move, and they haven't done anything to make their team better, I think. At this point, my ultimate loser on trade deadline day is Toronto. The thing that always
1: stuck out to me with that trade deadline for Toronto was, if you're going to make that many trades, how do you not address your weakest position? How do you not go for a goalie? How do you leave yourself in this murky situation where you have to rely on the injured again Matt Murray, who's inconsistent as hell, and Ilya Samsonov, who is inconsistent as hell,
2: they have a good team
1: and yet could very, very easily lose badly in the first round because their goaltending looks that suspect going into it. It... They are a real question mark going into the playoffs. They play against Tampa, and I would not bet on any of those goalies. They made their team deeper. They made their team deeper. The Ryan O'Reilly trade was good, even if he hasn't been able to make the play for them. I'll still say that he was good for them before he got hurt. He'll be good for them in the playoffs. But the rest of these trades just felt like shuffling deck chairs, not actually accomplishing anything and not addressing your team's
2: biggest weakness Well,
0: NHL scriptwriters like to see the second round exits, so so I don't know that's my, my guess is like I, I I guess that's what I'm saying like there's some moves and it's in any sport. That you see get made, and you're like, well, clearly the GM has to to see what we see, right? I mean, I, I know obviously we're fans and whatever, but he has to know what the goalies are like. I mean, is it a pride thing at that point? Is there actually NHL script writers? I mean, what what is going on? How do you not address? You're know, like you're saying, but I, I mean, I like I said I enjoy the least losing in the playoffs, so no complaints for me. More Leafs fans, the better. Crying, the better. Sorry.
3: Yep. Yep. 100%. Um, so, just curious, since we've been talking about trade deadline, mm-hmm. best deadline deal the Coyotes have made. Grandy? I'm going to be biased with this one.
1: It's Ray Whitney. He did so much for us in our best year we've ever had. He, he was amazing when he was here. He was the closest that we've had to a point-per-game player outside of Keller and Kachuk in that whole stretch of our existence.
2: It's Ray Whitney to me. Tyler.
0: I think Ray Whitney's objectively probably the best answer, but I have one, a personal anecdote for one, which is Antoine Vermette. Shut up, Grandy. And so (laughs) I see it. I saw a look in your eye. I saw it. I was like, don't mention it. We don't talk about that. So, uh, because I actually sat really close to the Cowboys bench when they played Dallas that year. We made that run. I'm just going to see him interact with them that close. Just, I don't know. Just kind of stuck with me. So he became one of my favorite players just because of that. So a little bit of a personal bias on that, but yeah, the objective answer is probably way, way, Ray Whitney, excuse me. Until we get something you know, down the line we're bolstering our talent pool. So what about you, Matt?
3: So I'm going the other way. I'm actually looking at the offload, um, I'm looking at sending Martin Hansel to Minnesota for a first, second, and third-round pick. Um, uh, granted, Jacob Chikrin's probably going to do just fine in Ottawa and continue to play. Martin Hansel was never the player that Jacob Chikrin was before he was traded. He was never that player in Minnesota. He went to Dallas. He had nothing but back problems. They The, the Coyotes managed to get... a. Uh, Tanner Jeannot type return for Martin Hansel. And to me, that is probably the best move they've had it on deadline day.
1: Um, That was my second option. I'll be honest, I didn't go it for one
3: reason and one reason alone.
2: What those picks became?
3: Well, yeah, there's that. What those picks. uh, Yeah, objectively, though, you can't look at what those picks became because that's just mismanagement of assets, unfortunately. And... Who did they become?
1: Here, Oliver-Joseph. Uh, the second round pick was another bust in the third round pick. I think the third round pick might be unique.
3: Uh, yes, it there was. We so, there we go. So, we well, go. One, two, three. Yeah. I mean, POJ is doing good things in Pittsburgh, well, okay things in Pittsburgh, and he was a big part of the Phil Kessel trade that brought Kessel here. So, yeah, I mean, I I don't want to call it like horrible use of assets, but it was pretty bad. But at the time of the trade, you know, getting a first, second, and third round picks for Martin Hansel, I don't, I don't know how anybody can be mad about that. My second, though, would be Antoine Vermette going to Chicago at the deadline for what a first-round pick, and then him him signing in Arizona again that offseason. Chicago gave up first-round pick. They win a Stanley Cup. Vermette gets a cup. The Coyotes don't lose their player for more than, what, three weeks or four weeks of game action. Get him back, and they get a first-round pick for it. Could we be seeing something similar with Ghost? I didn't think so uh, when that trade happened, but uh, he's He's had a really rough go of it in Carolina, and that might hurt his value in free agency. And if he doesn't have any suitors early on, who knows? Maybe maybe there's a mutual uh, want to bring him back here. Um, you know where he's done good things here. He's been a a power play driver and and a decent mentor to that defensive group. And you know he he seems like he likes the state. So should always
1: sign one year deals. If he wants to compete in the playoffs, he can sign one year deals. He can trade it at the deadline.
0: Yeah, keep coming back. <laughs> just keep yeah, just keep coming back to Arizona <laughs> every offseason. I'm back. I'm just...
3: Yeah, I I Get do to the think this year. Ready the table for him. I do think think this year he did take a little bit of a step back from his first year in Arizona. I don't know if maybe that's the direction he's going. He is getting up there. Um, you know, twenty nine years old, I believe now. So I'm you only 29. have. What
0: are you trying to say? I'm getting up there. I'm getting old.
3: Uh, for a hockey or a lacrosse player, yes. Um, good
0: thing I coach. <laughs> it's a good thing I coach.
3: Yep. Yep, um, But yeah, I mean, as, as an NHL player goes, uh, you're at the age where you really need to look for the best situation to go win. So I do, th- I do still think he ends up elsewhere. But if he doesn't have any suitors, at least initially, it might be a John Klingberg type situation where he's going to bet on himself, come back to Arizona, put up some numbers, and look to move again.
0: I wouldn't mind that, especially because I, uh, I got his reverse retro. So I wouldn't mind him coming back for a little bit to make this valid once again, not a former player jersey, but one can only hope.
3: Yeah, but he'll come back and wear a different number just to piss you off.
0: That would be really funny, actually. I'd be like, you know, fair. Fair enough. That's, you know what? Just sign the jersey. It doesn't matter.
2: Say okay with me. So before we move on, I have my question of the week. Locked and loaded for you boys, if you're ready. Yeah. yeah. Go
0: ahead. Okay. Excellent. So I've kind of brought up the crystal ball a couple times this podcast. I need you guys to pull it out for me one more time. And I'm going to basically, you've become a, an angel or a devil, I suppose, which one you prefer, on GMBA soldier's shoulders, if I can talk this afternoon or evening. And you get to tell them, hey, this is what I would do at this point, or, you know, beginning of the off season, what is the thing you tell them to do? If you had to get your crystal ball completely just assuming everything goes the way you want it to go, let you decide whatever future you want to build, where are we taking – what are you going to tell him as the angel on his shoulder is what I should say?
1: Well, sorry, I ain't being the angel on the shoulder. I'm Devil. grabbing my pitchfork, <laughs> uh, putting it on my horns, and I'm oh, whispering, "Trade Nick Schmaltz, Trade Nick Schmaltz. He takes, he takes waltz
2: in his ear over and over and over mm-hmm. again.
0: So okay. yeah, are you the angel, Matt?
3: I guess, and I'm gonna walk over to the other shoulder and I'm gonna smack Grandy with my halo and tell him <laughs> to shut the hell up.
0: Um, exercising. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, honestly, if uh, this would take place before the off season, but. I'm, I'm walking up to him on draft day saying, you got two guys that you really, really, really need to take here. Um, Will Smith, if he's available, if he's gone and we're at six, you take Oliver Moore. That's, that's what I'm telling him. And I'm telling him with the Ottawa pick, you have to take either uh, Reinbacher or Sandin Pelica if they're there. Don't miss on a defenseman right now. Next year's class is loaded with defensemen, but defensemen take longer to develop. Um, And you need more than one defenseman. And and yeah, absolutely. You need more than one defenseman. So yeah, if I'm talking to Armstrong, it's go get Oliver Moore and spend your next two picks on defensemen.
1: I do want to... I do want to expand on that real quick. Why Oliver Moore over Zach Benson?
3: Well, I was about to ask Or do you actually. want
1: to cover that closer in the draft?
3: I don't, I don't mind answering that. Um, Give us a preview. Oliver Moore can play center, and I don't think Zach Benson can. There's been talk that Connor Geeky may or may not be an NHL center. He might be a winger. Um, if he is a winger, you're putting a lot on Barrett Hayton and Logan Cooley If you don't take a center this year, Um, uh, because at that point, you know, next year is loaded on defensemen as well. If you grab Kobe Barlow or, um, you know, somebody along those lines, you're leaving yourself a little thin down the middle. So I'm, I'm going all over Moore. He's an unbelievable skater. He's got a very strong two-way game. He's got a very good shot. He's not like eye-popping the way Logan Cooley is, but He's he's going to be or he has I should say he has the potential to be a very very good 1B um for this Coyotes team I I always like to compare him to Dylan Larkin Grandy definitely has him closer to Anthony Sorelli I if we meet somewhere in the uh, middle a
1: supercharged version of Anthony Sorelli I think he's better than Sorelli I just don't see the Larkin ceiling I think that's what it is
3: if we meet somewhere in the middle, though, we're still talking about a very good second-line center, ton of speed, can kill penalties, play on the power play, has a good shot. I like Oliver Moore a lot, and I think that's why I'm taking him over Zach Benson. I think there's the potential that you've already got a couple of carbon copies of what Zach Benson might bring in Clayton Keller. Um, Maybe a little worse one in Matthias Michelli, but we'll see how... You know, next season goes for Michelli, and you've got Logan Cooley, who can create on another level as well. I I do think it's very important to get that two-way guy who still brings a ton of offense.
0: I like it. You got both the angel and the devil. That was even better. Better than and that. And
3: then, and then, if we were to expand down one more pick, man, has Cameron Allen fallen in a huge way? He was, he was a guy that a lot of people had he's potentially the top defenseman taken early this year. He's probably going to be there with that second pick. So, so if I'm going to Armstrong, I'm like, hey, you really need to take a look at Cameron Allen. Really quick, Matt.
2: If, if he's still there
1: at 10, and let's say the St. Louis Blues come calling saying, hey, we'll trade you the 10th pick for Nick Schmaltz even up. Can I get you to jump on that demon shoulder with me if uh, it becomes Nick Schmaltz for
3: your boy?
2: Patient of the devil.
3: I think it depends on who they take it. Well, I mean, so I guess it depends on how the lottery works out. I mean, if they end Zach up with Benson,
1: a we go Zach Benson at six. Well,
3: and then all yeah, the more zero at ten. Then yeah, at, when... at that point, yes, I I say fine. You can have Schmaltz because. Schmaltz is, uh, he's not a center. I, I don't care how many people in the national media want to paint him as a center and his ability to kind of interchange a little bit with Barrett hayden He's not a center. So if you go out and get Zach Benson, you've picked up a guy who's probably not a center in the NHL either. You desperately need that center. Yes, for out of necessity at that point, I would trade Nick Schmaltz. Finally. I finally finally got it.
0: (laughs) Ah, He tempted his
3: flock. Ah, you said I finally got it. What I got, though, is that the Coyotes screwed up and took Zach Benson over Oliver Moore to begin with, and all they did was fix a mistake.
1: But how is it a a mess up if you still get him later in the draft?
3: Because you had to give up Nick Schmaltz to do it when you could have given up nobody to get him. Zach Benson is probably going to be better than Nick Schmaltz. Probably. But I still think Nick Schmaltz does more for the players coming up now. And I think that's important to player development, that he's there right now for those young guys. So I even though Benson's probably the better player, I think Schmaltz's influence on rookies coming through is probably just as important.
0: Sounds like the Angel and the Devil have to come back during the uh draft special podcast. Well, yeah, this is
1: this is this, this argument's pretty... not
3: yeah, it's not gonna end. This no, this will not. go on and on and on until either Schmaltz gets traded or he's a free agent. And at that point, either I'll be mad because Schmaltz got traded and Grandy thinks he's right, or Schmaltz will be a free agent, and Grandy will be mad because they got nothing for him, and I'll think I was right. This is the most
0: rational argument I've ever heard in my entire life on the internet. Of all the internet arguments I've heard, this is the most rational one.
1: This will also continue until the uh, draft day, where I want the biggest possible swing for the fences, and Matt wants... Oliver Moore, who is an incredibly safe player and a really good, strong floor, but I just don't see having that high swing for the fence. He's a solid double. That's just that's how I view you know, Oliver Moore.
3: I always think back to 2015 when I really, really, really wanted Mitch Marner. Everybody wanted Dylan Strom, and a few people wanted Noah Hennepin, but I but, really, really, really wanted Mitch Marner, even though he wasn't in that same tier. Because I thought he was the safer pick. Man, if only they had gone with that safer pick.
1: I, never, I didn't think he was viewed as the safer pick. I thought he was viewed as the more high potential guy who only went a little bit later because he was a winger over a center.
3: Kind of like,
1: oh, I don't know, Benson over Moore? Right, no, the, again.
3: the the big <laughs> knock on Mitch Marner was... He could do it all, but he lacked a little bit of the size. And Dylan Strome was this towering center who had tons of upside to his game. He wasn't the best skater, but he had the shot. He had the pass. He had the the mind for the game. Everything about him was the flashier guy. And Mitch Marner played on a, a London team that had... Matthew Kachuk, and had Christian Dvorak and Max Domi, and it was loaded, whereas Dylan Strom got to center his own line because he was behind Connor McDavid and he was still successful. Mitch Marner was always kind of viewed as, as the safer pick that didn't have quite the the offensive upside, and it turned out to be the complete opposite. So I'm I'm all for taking the safe pick, especially in this case because I I do think Oliver Moore is not just a safe pick, but he's still a very good pick. This isn't like you know grabbing. Man, what's a what's a good comparable here? This isn't taking
1: Barrett Hayton over Quinn Hughes.
3: No, because Barrett Hayton wasn't supposed to go there. That that Whoops. was that Whoops. was Barrett Hayton was like projected at like twelve, from a lot of so
1: people. Jake Brusk over Matt Barzell.
3: Yes, yes, definitely a much safer pick going with the Brusk than Barzell. Barzell worked out absolutely, but in this case, I think it's the opposite. I think all Moore – has more potential to be a complete two-way, long-standing 2C in the NHL um, who's got a greater impact on his team than Zach Benson does playing left wing um, and just being a point producer. Hmm.
1: Well, Again, this is, a, this is a debate. There's there's far yeah. more to this debate.
2: I, it,
3: there's um, they're two different players, and that's the, the big thing to note here is there's nothing wrong with taking Zach Benson. There's nothing wrong with taking Oliver Moore. Uh, the difference in the debate it, between Grandy and I is what type of player do you want?
1: And I want the guy who has the potential to be that game-breaking type player. And I view Zach Benson as more likely to be that than Oliver Moore. So, and I view uh, the yeah, Coyotes
3: just... having two of those already in Keller and potentially Logan Cooley. So i'd I'd rather have that two way guy. So it sounds yeah, like then...
0: our debate episode is going to be very action packed because Big Tortilla will be in there. I'm sure we'll have hopefully Mike Gold and other ones joining again. Hopefully, hopefully not going. Oh work. yeah,
1: this is this is a debate that's going to rage on until the draft time. And after the draft time.
3: And when the Coyotes don't end up with Zach Benson or Oliver Moore, it's still going to be a debate.
0: Yep. Oh, forever what if. Well, we can go ahead and close this episode out, boys. Get this, people, find people at home, back to their scheduled whatever they're doing. Uh, any last words before we close this out?
3: So, one final note on Matias Michelli. Um not sure anybody pays attention to this stuff, but um he is 14th in the league, not just a rookie thing here, at 2.248 assists per game. <laughs> 14th in the league wow. as a playmaker. Um or I'm sorry, that's not per game, that's per 60 minutes. Okay, uh, yeah, that makes well, more sense. So, yeah, per 60 minutes, he is 14th in the league as a playmaker, and he's 60th in the league in points per 60, which puts him, like, as a low-end second-liner. Um, and now, granted, this does include defensemen, and you're going to have guys like Carlson and, um, you know, McCar and those guys in that as well. So maybe even a little higher than a low-end second-line winger, but he's doing this as a rookie, and he's doing it with Jack McBain and Nick Bukestad being his centers all year. Ouch. So the the sky's the limit for Michelli. And that's my final
1: thought. Randy? No, just uh, thank you all for listening. We wouldn't be doing this without you. Please remember if you are on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to leave us a review. We'll read it live on air if you do. us is five stars. And don't forget, May 16th.
0: Get That's out and vote. Say. Yep, that was going to be mine. Tempe residents, get out there and vote May 16th for Props 301, 302, and 303 to make sure that Tempe wins in May. So, with that being said, let's get out of here, boys. And thank you all for listening. We'll
2: see you on the next one.